0: Sure, although no. I I do know people that grew up watching this uh, Adam West Batman show and mm-hmm. in turn thought Batman and Robin was their favorite Batman film.
1: Huh, interesting.
2: They're
1: idiots. <laughs>
3: idiots. <laughs>
2: there was a podcast called The Sequel Cast. They talked about
0: movies. And they talked about something else called boobies. It's
1: the Sequel Cast. It's the Sequel Cast. It's the Sequel Cast.
0: www.sequelcast.com Hello and welcome to the Sequel Cast, a podcast reviewing movies in a franchise one movie at a time. We're at the tail end of a Batman series of episodes and we're going to take a look at the Adam West live action Batman series. The animated Batman series from the 90s. And a little bit of the uh, animated film released in theaters, Batman Mask of the Phantasm, was also released in the 90s as well. I'm your host, Uncle Milkshake. With me is Thrasher. Howdy, howdy. Jersey Jason. Hey. And once again, returning from the Batman episode, Tyler Smith from Battleship Pretension and More Than One Lesson, two very entertaining film podcasts. Hello, how are you? Good. Glad you could uh, make it back.
1: Thank you very much
0: check out the website sequelcast.com send us an email sequelcast at gmail.com look us up on itunes and check out the twitter feed twitter.com slash sequelcast okay we're talking about that's a great segue yes wasn't it
2: (laughs) (laughs) speaking of segues how about that batman okay well again we've been talking about the movies and because of the popularity in the comic book and of course the movie i think is the reason that more popularity became, came on to Batman, but a lot of people um, and, learned about
0: Batman from the 1960s live action TV show starring Adam West as Batman and Burt Ward as Robin. It was only the Boy Wonder. The Boy Wonder. It was only on from a 1966 to 1968.
3: Had a real camp feel to it, to say the least. Oh, it didn't have a camp feel.
2: It was camp to the core. <laughs> I'm trying to the remember bats. what I'm trying to remember what channel ran it. If it was FX or Sci-Fi.
3: Sci-Fi ran at well, a time. It's it's been rerun on many networks. TBS had it, the Family Channel has had it, and I think all of its incarnations. at one point Adult uh, TV Land has had it. I could swear once Adult Swim showed it, but I can't verify that.
0: Do you have any memories Tyler of the Adam West Batman show?
1: Uh yeah, I remember when I was a kid uh really enjoying it uh and having specific villains that I that I enjoyed um specifically um of course Cesar Romero as the Joker, I loved Frank Gorshin as the Riddler and um Vincent Price as uh Egghead. I enjoyed <laughs> oh, yes. him. Um and of course uh, Burgess Meredith was awesome as uh, the Penguin. But um yeah, and I remember uh, really I don't know, it's it it's something that as I've gone on and and become an adult, I do find myself wondering about that series that it is very campy uh, and that and they all it's all very self-aware they know what they're doing um, but I watch it now and I can't there are some things that I can enjoy for for their camp value and uh, the Adam West Batman is actually not one I guess because uh, there have been so many different uh, incarnations of Batman that have taken the lore also very seriously mm-hmm. that I actually find myself wondering like ugh you you're doing a live action Batman. You have the opportunity to do something really interesting uh, and amazing with it, uh, but instead you're choosing to just poke fun at the whole thing. and And I don't know. It's one of those things. I, I look back on it now, and I it just frustrates me. I I mean, they they haven't done a live action Batman since. Um, they did that short lived uh, like all female thing, right, with Harley Quinn and Catwoman and Batgirl, but but they haven't done any kind of uh, live-action thing. And uh, I don't know, it just seemed, when I look back on it, as fun as it was, um, it seemed like kind of a wasted opportunity. But maybe I'm just taking it all too seriously.
3: Well, I, I, I would, would disagree. I mean, I, I have, you know, I, I adored the Adam West Batman series as a, as a child and continued to enjoy it as a teenager and hadn't seen it for many years and then came back to it uh, shortly after I graduated from college. And I find that I still enjoyed it just as much, but for very different reasons. I mean, as a child, I liked it because it was Batman, it was zany, and it was exciting. But as an adult, I really appreciate the level of craft that went into that show. I love the sets. I love the, it has a very strong visual style. The directing is amazing. And just the, the, the writing. As, as a writer, uh, I tend to overwrite.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Uh, and I, I can probably attribute some of that to uh, Adam the Adam West Batman series it was a chronically overwritten show but the dialogue was so snappy it really worked uh, but uh, also you know I they weren't that show wasn't making fun of Batman
2: mm-hmm. uh,
3: mainstream comic books uh, by the 1960s had gotten very very silly mm-hmm. uh, if if anything uh, just the limits of live-action filming made the Adam West Batman show more serious, the Batman comics, where they were looking for any excuse to have him fight in warehouses full of giant objects, or be attacked (laughs) by gorillas because of a study that had shown comic books with gorillas on the cover sold better, which sadly (laughs) was a fact at the time. Uh, And actually, I can cite an example of just the sheer level of silliness. Uh, One of my favorite superheroes is another DC Comics hero, Metamorpho, the Elemental Man, uh, there is, uh, there was, in I believe it was World's Finest in the 19th, late 1960s, there was a crossover between Metamorpho and Batman. And the whole plot of that, uh, of that comic was that uh, the Joker, the Penguin, and if I remember correctly, the Riddler, had invented this like toxin, this toxic gas, which they exposed Batman to. And it caused Batman to turn into Bat-Hulk. An eight-foot-tall giant ape-like Batman who could turn his hands into magma, mm. and so bat, the Bat Hulk went on a rampage through Gotham City, and only Metamorpho could 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 stop the terror. And that was pretty much par for the course. Uh, the the comics were just that silly. I mean,
1: you mentioned- why would why would they want to make Batman more dangerous? Well, that seems very well, counterintuitive that- to me.
3: Bat Hulk was out of control. He started oh, uh, he just started tearing up Gotham City and lacking okay, to see.
2: Remember if you remember, Batman actually started in the comics way back when with a gun. And he used Well I
0: mean you, you mentioned he the writing the neck,
2: He cracked the neck of a guy hanging out of a window in uh, like issue two, of Detective Comics. Way back
0: when in like the nineteen forties, yeah. And you mentioned the writing of the show. Uh, the guy who wrote the pilot in a lot of the episodes, Lorenzo Semple Jr., this is the same man that wrote the film from the 80s, Flash Gordon. He hmm. also oh, wrote yeah. the King Kong movie from the 80s.
1: Like, we look at the old series as campy, and I have no doubt that the actors themselves played it that way, but uh, from a writer's point of view, I mean, you mentioned that it's overwritten, and then you go on to say some of the stuff that uh, that, that the guy has, uh, has written since, also being kind of campy. Um, but uh, do you think maybe this this is gonna sound a little insulting. Do you think maybe the writer didn't know that he was creating camp at the time?
0: Sure. I mean camp well, is that's in retrospect a lot of the times.
1: Yeah.
2: Well you know I, y- y- yeah, I don't know. Uh, was this not also the time of things like uh, the monkeys and um
0: yeah.
2: I don't know yeah. um, some other track Yeah. And some of those well, things were kind of campy. Star Trek, not so much.
3: Star Trek could be campy, but it was never really the goal. Uh, lost in Space certainly became campy, but campy to the point of being unwatchable as it lost control. <laughs> uh, I think. I think that's the thing. The yes, the Adam West Batman is very campy, but it trolled campy. Everything on there, everything you see on the screen is calculated. It does serve some purpose for the show or the character or the story. Uh, you, you very rarely would, uh, in the Animus Batman, would get weird for the sake of weird, campy for the sake of campy. Right. As opposed to Lost in Space, which is like, oh, what do we do for an episode? Uh, carrots and Space
0: hippies!
1: <laughs> <laughs> I
0: think Carrots and Space hippies would have been a better title than Lost in Space. Well, um, the final season, <laughs>
1: Um, and I guess that's, I guess that was, um, perhaps camp is, is the wrong, the wrong phrase for, for what I'm referring to. Um, because there's a, uh, a general, because you're right, I think camp is something that is usually uh, a label that is assigned in retrospect. So I think you're absolutely right about that. But, uh, but it makes me wonder if, uh, there's a, there's a certain degree of self-awareness. And as you mentioned, the, the production design, the performances are certain, I mean, all the actors are certainly game for, uh, whatever they wanted, whatever's going to happen, um, And, uh, they, they seem to have a fair amount of, uh, production value. And to me, all of that in service, and, and if they are just adapting a comic book that everybody involved is like, yeah, this is kind of a silly thing, but people seem to want it. Um, then I guess that's one thing, but I don't know, it just, and this is, I think when it comes to my personal preference, uh, like self-awareness and kind of winking at you and saying like, oh, this is all ridiculous, right? Like, if you have the option of playing something straight, even if it is something kind of by its very nature silly, um, I don't know. I my my vote is to always play it that way. Um, but uh, but again, that is that is I think maybe my, just my personal preference. And as we'll dis- and as we will discover. I, I, I usually prefer a much darker version of Batman uh, anyway, which the series most definitely is not.
0: Sure, although I I, I do know people that grew up watching this uh, Adam West Batman show and mm-hmm. in turn thought Batman and Robin was their favorite Batman film.
1: Huh, interesting. They're idiots.
0: <laughs> idiots. <laughs> that, that, that you hear that,
2: listeners? You're idiots.
0: That, that explanation <laughs> works as well. Tell us how much you're an idiot by sending us an email at sequelcast <laughs> at gmail.com.
3: Plug, plug, plug.
0: I...
2: I absolutely, wow, that wasn't even me that time. <laughs> yeah, I really hate to say this, guys, but I really don't like the Adam West Batman. I, I, I like do him. like some of the villains. I like the over-the-top Joker. I of course love Vincent Price. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Riddler. But every other episode, Uncle Milty, Milton Berle. Good Lord, <laughs> <laughs> the awfulness of the episodes. Yeah. And like, if you actually threw in a a really good actor like Burgess Meredith then you make him squat and go, wah, 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 wah. It, it just, it, ah, it annoys the hell out of me. So does Adam West Ponch. I would have put it in his contract. I'm going to go back in time. I'm going to put it in his contract that he has to work out every fucking day. Well,
3: well, you know, you, you point out, you know, Burgess Meredith, you know, being made to waddle around going, wah, wah. But the thing is, uh, all those guest stars were having a great time. I mean, that's why Cesar Romero was in almost every other episode. Not because they were paying him well, but because he loved putting on makeup and prancing around the stage as as the Joker. Uh, it's everyone in that show, all those guest stars, are just having a great time. and It became a very popular and in many ways a fad amongst uh, actors to get a spot on Batman. Frank Sinatra actually campaigned to get on Batman... But he demanded the part of the Joker and the producers were just fiercely loyal to Cesar Romero in that Mm. role, Mm. which is a real shame because as much as I love Cesar Romero as the Joker, I think I might I might just kill to see Frank Sinatra as the Joker.
1: Yeah, it was kind of uh, it was kind of the Simpsons of its day, uh, where they just had all these uh, guest stars and, and stuff like that. Um, and of course, I myself, uh, I'm not sure if I brought this up the last time I was I was uh, on the show, but uh, but I mentioned it a lot on on my show. Um, is that I'm a huge fan of the Riddler, um, just as a character in general. Um, and I think I owe a lot of that to when I was a kid and I watched uh, the, the Adam West Batman and enjoyed it. Um, Frank Gorshin just did such a wonderful job, and he was actually, of all the people to be on that show, he was the only one that was ever nominated for an Emmy mm-hmm. for his role as the Riddler. Um, and I remember uh, one of the things that I find interesting about, uh, gorshin's performance, as opposed to John Astin, who they uh, sometimes had uh, as the Riddler, and he did a fine job. But I mean, it, it was gorshin all the way. Um, is that when you think of like the top five Batman villains now, you will think of Joker, Penguin, Catwoman, Two Face, Riddler. Um, and if you think of the top four, uh, Two Face and Riddler are usually kind of uh, competing for that. But uh, but it didn't used to be that way. The Riddler in the comic books was usually it was not really that popular uh... and and then through the sheer force of gorshin's performance um, viewers kept demanding you know well i don't know about demanding but they kept requesting that he be on again and so sure just purely by the by the strength of his performance uh... it raised uh... the riddler as a character to be one of the major uh, Batman villains to the point now that if you ask people who are their favorite Batman villains or who are the big Batman villains, Riddler will be in the top five usually. Um, And so it is something that I, I do enjoy, I can enjoy watching parts of it, when I go back, but it's almost always the villains that I enjoy, and very seldom Adam West or Burr Ward or uh, you know Commissioner Gordon and Chief O'Hara and all that. It's almost always the villains because you do, you can tell that. Oh man, these guys are, you know, these guys are having a blast.
2: Yeah, that, in that and way, me, it's very much this, like citizen. British pantomime. Hmm. Tell me this citizen, which of the uh, presidents wore the largest hat? You see. It's the one with the largest head. He's going to hit the head bank at, the, at Gotham Center. <laughs> I, I, I'm, glad, I'm glad you brought that up, Jason. That was, uh, a,
3: as an adult, I, I can now laugh at this and really get into it now. But as a kid, <laughs> I was the, that was the one thing I didn't like about the uh, Adam West Batman series was that the riddlers' riddles made absolutely no (laughs) sense. And it was somehow like they were so nonsensical they bordered on being like Zen Cones. (laughs) It's like it's like it's like in the movie. There's like it's a two-part riddle. What's yellow and right? A ballpoint banana. And what kind of (laughs) people (laughs) rushing people. Russians. Put that together, Robin. What does that mean? Someone Russian is going to slip on a banana peel and break their neck. Yes, and it can only mean the villains have plans to abduct Miss Kitka, the reporter from the Moscow Bugle. And it's like that is <laughs> yeah. that is there is no as opposed to you know later incarnations of the Riddler, they would actually try to make the Riddler make sense. Um, when I you
0: creepy, to, and uh, we should move on to the animated series, but I do want to okay. point out. Sorry to cut you off there, Thrasher. That's about all right. In the interest of time. But I do want to mention how with... um, You have the Batman uh movie that was based on the TV series that came out that we haven't covered on the show yet. Um, well, actually, interestingly enough, that
3: is, was filmed first. They were well, going to try to release first. the movie okay. to sell the show, but a quirk of distribution caused the show to get picked up before the movie could be distributed.
0: But the thing is, that's the... The um, live-action Batman series has never been released on DVD or Blu-ray, and it's just very weird. It has to be some complicated rights issue because I, I It is. I think the thing would sell really well with the insane Batman fan base.
1: So, it
3: would, but that's probably why it isn't out. The problem is the character is owned by DC Comics, which is now owned by which is now owned by AOL Time Warner. But the television series is owned by Fox because it has been produced and developed by the Fox Studios.
0: Yeah, so that hopefully one day they'll figure that out, as weird as this show, the Adam West show, was. But as you mentioned, Tyler, Batman got darker and darker in the comics as the years went on, and that influenced the Tim Burton films. And shortly after Batman Returns, you had Batman the Animated Series come out, which is available in its totality on DVD in a four-volume uh, four
2: set, I believe.
1: hmm yes.
2: Just an awesome awesome thing coming out from Burnett, Nine. Dini, Domsky, and Tim. Bruce, Tim, and Eric Domsky designed such an amazing animation. Like, this blew my mind as a kid. The, the The animated series was so different from anything I was watching on Fox, like X-Men or or whatever, Crap Teen Wolf, the animated series. I mean, <laughs> this was... The style was so like crisp and had a really cool feel to the era. I mean, every, you can't there's everything about this show was so revolutionary.
1: It was really interesting because it really was influenced the anime the look of the animated series uh was really influenced by the Tim Burton films, but it was informed by uh, the, that look and that tone and that feel, uh, without trying to completely replicate it, because of course those films, it was really big into German expressionism, and the show is more, more about like art deco and film noir, and of course noir is expressionistic as well, but it's, it's, it tried to, it was informed by it without, without wanting to just be a complete, for lack of a better term, rip off of uh of the movies it wanted to be its own thing and i think they recognized that oh these movies did well and i think people are more comfortable with seeing a darker batman so that's what we're going to do but we're not going to just take all of our cues from the movies and uh i think they were smart to do that
0: i think a big thing with the animated series that maybe a lot of people don't notice is the uh the music in it it has an original music score for each episode it mm-hmm. doesn't use source music you know the same uh, half a dozen clips of music in each episode and much like with, like, The Simpsons or other shows like that that have a score for every episode, it really adds a lot to the feeling. Uh, I was, like, in third grade when the show came out, and I really hated it as a kid because mm. I was used to the Batman comics where he looks like a steroid user. He has all the muscles, the definition, all the and the uh, sort of Dick Tracy, old-fashioned look of the cartoon was a real turnoff, and I don't think I was mature enough to sit down and appreciate a slower-paced uh, Batman mm. storyline. But as an adult now, I can really relish it and want to pick up the episodes down the line. I've sort of rented a few here and there. But uh.
1: I think uh, I think it's it's interesting. You know, to I, I don't know how old uh, all of you guys are, but I'm 28. So when the show came out, I was 10. And then uh, then X-Men came out shortly, very shortly after that, I think even in the same year, but, but Batman was first, and then there was X-Men. and there was also a lot of really great comedy cartoons like Eat the Cat," and then the Tick came out. It was really a good time for Saturday morning cartoons. And I feel like those those shows actually uh, informed a lot of my my taste as I got older, um, whether it be like kind of a, a a really interesting, satirical kind of comedy like in the Tick or um really in not being afraid to explore like in-depth characters uh like in Batman and X-Men and just really as you mentioned kind of pace it a little slower and take its time so that we get to know these people i think because they recognize that at the at least in terms of the villains um that uh yeah these villains are going to keep coming back and so we we need to be have more investment in them than merely oh well this is what their gimmick is and so that's all that ki- that matters and it really i remember as a kid i had never i don't think i had ever really seen the idea of the tragic villain before and if you look at batman the animated series so many of them are taking revenge on one person or on society and you always fe- I mean, you always feel a little bit bad for them but you also know that uh, that what they're doing is wrong i mean you get characters like the Riddler and the Clock King and the Mad Hatter and Clayface and speaking of music, Clayface's music was all. I mean, it brings a tear to my eye now. I own all of them on DVD. And in preparation for this, I, I was watching some episodes and the the music, uh, just everything about it, did not pander to children. It in it instead said, "Hey, we're going to do this as as great as we can do it, and it will probably elevate." uh... the the taste of whoever of whatever kids watch it if if they are willing to to go along with it and it was just uh... it introduced a lot of things uh... to me that that i think i still carry with me as a as a movie watcher and as a tv watcher
3: this show did did do a lot. I mean, it took advantage it took advantage of the fact that they were going to have Japanese animators on board. Some episodes would actually use Japanese directors who did have more experience in doing more sophisticated animation, uh, even even when on a shoestring budget. And there are a handful of episodes where you can see the limitations of the animation, but the design work is so strong that it completely glosses over that unless you were really studying it. One technique that this uh, show used, which was mind-blowing at the time, you know, Batman operates mainly at night. You know, the, the show has all these dark undertones. So one of the things they decided is, well, let's not do the background. Let's not draw the backgrounds on cells. Let's not draw the backgrounds on white paper. Let's draw all the backgrounds on black construction work paper. Mm-hmm. All the backgrounds are painted directly onto black paper and it makes the dark so much richer and adds this very sensual quality to the shadows on this show. I mean that, that, was, that was totally unheard of. And if you'll, at the time and if, if you'll notice in a lot of the scenes, uh, you know they'll, they'll just it'll be a black background with details picked out in blue and red. It, almost as if they had had stylistic lighting, and that is such an effective uh, lighting technique. If, if you want to photograph something and make it look striking and creepy in the dark, just light it a little bit on one side in red, light it a little bit on the other side with blue, and you get this amazing effect.
1: And their their willingness to uh, <laughs> to have Gotham City take place in a time that is kind of outside of time, like oh, you have. Yeah. You have zeppelins, but then you also have like really complex computers and, with black uh, have... and white screens. Exactly, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Really complex computers in like sepia tones, and uh, then you have Tommy guns and robots. It's just uh, their their level of commitment uh, to that idea is uh, is something that I really respect.
0: One of course, one of the most memorable things of this animated series uh, is you know Mark Hamill's portrayal as the Joker. But they originally hired Tim Curry to do The Joker, and recorded several episodes worth of dialogue. But, hmm. um, you know, I've read a few different stories why they didn't stick with Tim Curry. One was that Tim Curry smoked so many cigarettes that he couldn't keep up the voice for long without <laughs> coughing. Another was that executives thought Tim Curry's performance was uh, too scary for kids, which that hmm. I can kind of believe. And you know, I can totally that. And him being cast as The Joker is kind of a big joke because he played Pennywise the clown in the TV right. movie It, uh, based on the Stephen King book. So I, I always wondered if they'd ever come out with a DVD extra sh- showing what Tim Curry sounds like as the Joker. To my knowledge, they've never shown that a c- at a convention.
3: And it's not on the DVDs. I would love to see love that. The Although States. I I suspect viewers at home, if you wanna if you want to get some idea of what Tim Curry probably sounded like as the Joker, go out and get Duckman on DVD and watch <laughs> the King Chicken episodes. <laughs> I have a hunch that's what
1: his Joker would have sounded like. I do, I do enjoy his performances as, as King Chicken. I, and I like Duckman in general. I haven't seen that in years. Thank you for reminding me. That's great.
2: That one is oh, no available problem. on DVD. Um, ben, I think the perfect. I think having Mark Hamill is so perfect. He followed throughout. He actually played another, another a DC villain before playing the... Uh, Trickster? God, the heck, Trickster. On the Flash. Yeah, uh, Flash. Which was live action, which was pretty awful in its own. Um, uh, just a really bulky Flash suit instead of having a streamlined costume, um, which I can only hope for if they make an actual Flash movie or a JLA movie of any type. Oh, do. you know
3: what's what's interesting on I believe it's the season ten DVDs. Uh, for the Simpsons uh, Mark Hamill played himself on an, in an episode that season uh, and he actually appears or, or he lends he brings his voice to the audio commentary track for that episode on the DVD uh, mm-hmm. and he actually and he talks about a lot about his career in animation and one of the things he mentioned was that you know he said that the this he had tells this anecdote where he says that the Simpsons got him the job on Batman and that he had he had shown up for an audition and he d- had done the whole audition and uh, was just making small talk with one of the producers and the and the producer just kind of asked him well you know well really why why do you want to be on Batman and he just said just like as a joke well this is really just a stepping stone to get on The Simpsons and it cracked the, all the producers up and he he credits that anecdote with why he got the part as the Joker.
1: Huh. Hmm there's a lot of really great uh I, I a lot of great vocal performances and i think in that way uh this show is very similar to the the adam west batman where you just bring in a lot of uh character actors now of course i mean it's a show for kids so not everyone's going to be like oh george zunza you know that's no one's <laughs> going to say that but um but the the i mean the the voice work for everybody was amazing i mean even one of those things uh, one of the things that has always kind of gotten me about the Batman series is that uh, whether it be the the movies or the TV show or whatever uh, I, I very seldom was interested in Batman himself I was always more interested in the villains um, and it's huge and you can tell that the the makers themselves are like yeah Batman Batman we already kind of understand what he's about and the He's the constant, and the, and the, the villains are the variables. Um, but this sh- this show did not treat it that way. Kevin Conroy, of course, does a wonderful job uh, as the voice of Batman, but also, I mean, it really, the show really delves into uh, the depths of his psychosis. I mean, even exploring really disturbing things for children, and the fact that Kevin Conroy could turn around and, and just have the most lighthearted, uh, like, an- kind of annoying Voice for Bruce Wayne is sounding like kind of this blue blood type guy that you just want to punch bear
2: i like I like his his range from going from Bruce Wayne oh no to the it's, it's great
1: it's it's absolutely what it needs to be because it's the idea of Bruce Wayne as the the cover for Batman so he he plays the quintessential and and Christian Bale does it as well. You just play like all right, I'm expected to be this rich guy who's kind of the head of a company and very kind of lighthearted for the most part. And when I say annoying, I mean it's not it's not annoying to me, but it's he he plays the essence of what Bruce Wayne is supposed to be. And if you look at his voice as Bruce Wayne is and his voice as Batman, it, it's 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 amazing and you really do sense that uh and I think I think there's an interview with Kevin Conroy on the DVDs as Batman where he says that he viewed Bruce Wayne as the mask and Batman as the real guy. And so he kind of layers on this this kind of smarmy uh, attitude, not to make, not of course that Bruce Wayne is is, uh, a jerk that we don't like, but he kind of, he understands that the character that he's playing is Bruce Wayne and the real guy is Batman. And Kevin Conroy just does really uh, some amazing work. And I really cared about the Batman that he had created.
3: Well, you know, you, you mentioned uh, you mentioned the, the quality of, of the acting, and, and there's you know, a tremendous, uh, tremendous voice cast on this show. Uh, they were even able to pull uh, pull some guest voices from time to time. I remember uh, when Katie Mulgrew was the claw, and for whatever reason, her performance just stuck with me. So I was all ready for her when she became Janeway on Voyager. Like, oh, she was on Batman! That's awesome! <laughs> but, um... One thing, and I think this is worth uh, bringing up, because it's a real strong point of connection between Batman the Animated Series and the Adam West series. There is a truly amazing, and I, I will even dare say, the best episode of the original of the first season of Batman the Animated Series is the episode about the Grey Ghost, guest-starring mm. Adam West. And, and who does Adam West play? He plays a washed-up actor who became typecast after playing... A superhero, a great ghost for many years. This pulp era superhero, and it's and the episode touches on so many things. It touches on hero worship. It touches about getting trapped in a role that wasn't necessarily of your choosing. And Adam West turns this just amazing and nuanced performance as the actor who played the Gray Ghost and as the Gray Ghost.
1: It's it's a really it's a really touching episode, and it's one that, I mean. As a kid, I enjoyed it, and I don't think I quite—I don't think I knew at the time that it was Adam West that did his voice. But it—it is—it's one of the—it's—it's it's kind of a, a a sad irony that uh, that it took Adam West returning to a Batman thing for people to realize just how nuanced of an actor he could be. Um, because yeah, he was typecast, uh, you know, extraordinarily even so much even on Family Guy where they want him to play. Everyone's idea of Adam West. Um,
3: well, that's but, that's kind of one of the thing things about Adam West. His his career really turned around when he learned to embrace the, the, the sort of weird value and expectations had for him. And after that, mm-hmm. you know, he has got he's got many voice acting gigs. Uh, he's uh, a couple of get you know guest shots on various TV shows. Uh, of course, uh, look well. He, he played Ty Lookwell, the <laughs> pilot Lookwell. One of the funniest shows you will ever seen, a TV show that never happened, which was co-created by Conan O'Brien and Robert Smigel, about, interestingly enough, a washed-up actor from the sixties and seventies.
1: <laughs> yeah, and uh, and for those that are fans of Mystery Science Theater three thousand, he was in a film called Zombie Nightmare, uh, and it's it's a terrible movie, and his character is kind of ridiculous as well. But his playing of it is actually pretty good, not 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 wonderful because there's only so much you can do with that writing, but. Uh, but, yeah, it's, it's kind, of, uh, kind of a pleasure to see him in a different type of role than he, would, uh, than he used to get. And, uh, and also, it's just one of the funnier uh, MST3Ks uh, anyway. So, seek that out if you haven't seen it.
0: What do we think about the changes in character design in the Batman animated series as it went on and uh, transitioned? Well...
3: Well, as the series went on, because uh, you know when, when it came out, you know, it, was, it was really expected by the studios that it would tie in with the Tim Burton films. So a couple of aspects of the character designs the show was really beholden to, such as the penguin being mm-hmm. kind of deformed and having actual flippers. Although I am happy, I am happy they didn't go with the stitch up, stitched-up Catwoman suit. I think that wouldn't have come across well in this style of animation, so they just give her a sleek gray bodysuit. Um, but of course, as the show developed, it got more and more divorced from the Batman films, and it was able to go more in its own visual direction. Until uh, when, because uh, it was it was Batman animated series, then it became uh, Batman and Robin, and then when it moved to the WB, it was merged with Superman. It became the Batman Superman Adventures, and by then, you know, it still has sort of the core design aesthetic. But by that point, they had sort of they had decided to bring it more like. Bring it back to the classic comic book. so by the time it got to the Batman Superman Adventures, the Penguin was no longer this deformed circus freak. He was a he was once again a gangster with a pointy nose and a bird finish.
1: Yeah, i uh, I remember when i when I bought uh, the season four DVDs. It's right around there that they that they redesigned the characters, and and some of them are interesting, but a lot of them are they er, everything becomes a little bit more angular. And I say that knowing that the series itself was already pretty angular um but uh and i remember being kind of on the fence about some of the choices they make i i do like what they did with with the penguin and returning to to what uh, the you know the original comic book design but i remember not really liking what they did with the joker uh by giving his skin instead of the white giving it kind of this this pale blue uh tint and then changing the design of his eyes so that, like, they're not, like, humans' eyes. They become, like, black with, like, no pupils, or, or maybe only pupils. I'm not really quite sure how to describe I, it. I, but. I, think,
3: I think they were trying to give him that Stanley Kubrick madman stare.
1: <laughs> <laughs> which mission accomplished, they certainly do. Um, but it, it also served, in doing so, you know, it made him kind of creepy looking, but it also served to kind of dehumanize him a little bit, which which frustrated me. Uh, and then, the, then they change the voice and the design of the Scarecrow, and they turn him into a much more, in, in, me, in some terms, a much more frightening uh, and imposing villain. Well, he was um, beefy
2: instead of being a Scarecrow. He was like yeah. huge. and he had a, a, a noose around his neck as well. There's yeah. a very cool episode that deals with the death of Batgirl. Um, mm. Gordon's daughter is, of course, they brought in the character of Batgirl much better in this series than I think in anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, they bring her in, and one of the things was like, oh, if Batgirl had died, Commissioner Gordon always knew the connection between Bruce Wayne and Batman, just never let on. He goes directly after Bruce Wayne because he, he believes that he's responsible. But it all turns out to be a fever dream by Batgirl because she got sprayed by the fear toxin from that yeah. version of the Scarecrow. It was a really good episode also with uh, Bruce Wayne, well, with Batman being sprayed by an anti-fear
1: that's cancer. a great episode, yeah.
2: Oh, yes. He wasn't afraid of anything, so he, didn't, he got rid of his entire moral code, and uh, Robin actually had to stand in, um, which is kind of based off of what happened with uh, Nightfall, with him and Azrael. He actually had to fight Azrael once, when Azrael broke some guy's back with, uh, with a piece of lumber or something. He bashed somebody really badly, and Robin had to step in. Because, again, the idea is that the youthful member there is to kind of balance the darkness of Batman, which I really you know, do like. I like the version of Robin in this as well. Mm-hmm. Uh,
3: you know, if if I can if I can bring up something, uh, I I really have enjoyed all the the animated incarnations of Batman that were part of the series. But I I think my favorite, my absolute favorite, which got spun off from all this, was Batman Beyond, which was yeah. a animated Batman series taking place in a Gotham City. Uh, roughly 50 years in the future, it was all based on an Elseworlds comic where uh, Bat, where it's it's this sort of dystopian cyberpunkish Gotham City, uh, very overblown like Blade Runner, where Batman had to retire early from crime fighting because of the stress of the job gave Bruce Wayne a a heart condition and he just was not up to the strain. And the, the short of it is that a a teenager named Terry McGinnis who uh, Whose father, uh, who, whose father has died, ends up uh, ends up really by accident discovering the Batcave, uh, stealing a suit of of power armor and ends up becoming the new Batman. And, you know, Bruce Wayne kind of hangs out of the Batcave using it like a command center. Barbara Gordon has grown up and has now, as she is now, the, the commissioner. Uh, the, all of these people from what would have been the present-day Gotham City, you know, things have changed. Like, the, the Joker is, is dead, but there's now a gang called the Jokers that model themselves uh, after the Joker and kind of look um, up to him they, as a figure.
2: Because they have, they have Harley Quinn's uh, nieces so yeah, harley her harley?
3: no they're they're they are her her uh they refer to her as auntie harley when, when it's later than the connections revealed but yeah they're these two twin girls uh deep, who are collectively called Dee, Dee. yeah who they're they're like the the nieces or grandniece of great niece second nieces or, or some sort of niece of of uh, harley quinn
2: <laughs> and they're voiced by
3: uh melissa joan hart come and on Larissa explains it all fame but i mean that uh, Batman. I mean, you, you, uh, you, have all we've all talked about how how the Batman animated series did things that that weren't for kid, that weren't you know really for kids, that were much more sophisticated and adult. And I really feel that Batman Beyond took it took it further than than any other show. And there's two things this show did which which truly blew my mind. One uh, dur- during during uh, the Batman Superman Adventures. There's there's a couple of episodes where they hint very subtly that Batman and Batgirl might be having some kind of some kind of romantic relationship, but it's all incredibly subtle. But there's an episode of Batman Beyond where where they where where uh, Barbara Gordon flat out tells Terry McGinnis that she and Bruce Wayne had had an affair when they were both superheroes, and how that that had that was in a way what caused them. What caused her to give up her her life of crime fighting as a mass vigilante and made her study law and eventually become the commissioner? But the other one, uh, I I hate anti-drug, very special episodes. Not because uh, not not because I don't think drugs are harmful. Many drugs are harmful, but anti-drug episodes are just so preachy and boring and and. Typically paint such an unrealistic picture of the of the drug that it's coming out against that I really feel it hurts the cause more than it helps it. But that I mean, Are you Margaret,
2: talking about VR addiction?
3: No, actually I'm not. Uh, there there's is
2: all about addiction with uh, virtual reality.
3: But uh, I am not am actually
2: that's the drug one.
3: I'm talking. Well, I'm talking about a, a, a different one that that. Well, because this is the thing: virtual reality addiction. That's not. That's that's not going to work as an anti-drug episode because who, who, who alive today uh, is experiencing, well, I shouldn't say today with World of Warcraft, but who alive back in the late 90s would, would, would you know, look at that and go, wow, I'm addicted to virtual reality. Maybe I should cut down. There's an episode okay, of bad- okay, then
2: what about splicing? Which, which I, drug that, talking about?
3: that Well, if you'd let me explain. Uh, that episode, the episode about splicing wasn't about drug addiction. That was about uh, gang violence and initiation.
0: Batman, Mask of the Phantasm, was a movie done in the same style as the Batman animated series. It's also known as Batman the Animated Movie, first of many. Uh, and it was meant to be direct-to-video. It was not intended to be in theaters until a last-second decision. Mm-hmm. But I, I do think it feels a bit more adult in some ways in the animated series. I mean, you have sort of a Batman origin story that's almost more of a romance than an action picture at a lot of points. And I found that really surprising because um, this is my first time watching it.
1: And I believe it also I, I'm not hundred percent sure on this because it's it, though I though I do own it it's been a while since I've seen it um, it also because this this woman shows up that that gives Bruce that is kind of a, a link to Bruce Wayne's past um, I believe they also uh, address the idea that his grief is now starting to kind of fade as grief will always fade and that his own sense and and he's starting to allow himself the idea of moving on with his life and not really being, uh, defined by the murder of his parents anymore, but that his own guilt, uh, will not let him stop doing this. And that, which of course the ideas of guilt and, and grief and, and how much are you willing to let yourself... Uh, be defined by this thing in your past uh as you yeah as you mentioned it 's very adult and they they dealt with some of that in 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 the series of course, but I feel like in this in the movie they really full on went for it because I think it, their idea was well it is a it is a film, it is a movie i think i don 't recall if it 's g or p g but uh but yeah I think they they felt like we can go even further uh that even deeper.
2: I mean, the the portrayal of the Joker in that is even worse. I mean, Mm. his abuse of his robot life was hilarious. I thought that was the funniest (laughs) thing ever when I was watching it, which, what does that say about me?
3: It's okay if it's a robot.
2: Yeah, I mean, just the dark tone of that movie, and just, I really liked the idea of the revenge, and also the murder of that one gangster by having a statue thrown on him. A a tombstone. Yeah. The weeping angel like with its arms like outstretched towards him. Mm-hmm. Uh, just some really cool visuals in that. And that's actually based off um, a real story. Uh, but the villain was called the Reaper instead of the uh, Phantasm. It was based on was Batman
0: like, uh, Year 2 was that comic yeah. story.
2: But just the idea, uh, just some of the ideas brought in that were like so cool. And I guess I, I were maybe a little ahead of me, but I loved it
3: something i i really liked about this movie that almost never happens you know whenever whenever, a a comic or graphic novel comes out about a young bruce wayne on the path to becoming batman it always goes thoroughly overboard with the bad imagery like he goes to learn martial arts the martial artist he learns from is covered in bat tattoos or (laughs) you know like just everywhere he's going like bat imagery but you, you know i i know he becomes batman you don't need to foreshadow it uh but i love that this movie you know doesn't doesn't really do that and i was actually shocked that it didn't have the bruce wayne looks out the window sees a bat and realizes the criminals are a superstitious and cowardly lot we never actually see the moment where he's inspired to use the bat as an image you know we just have him you know lamenting that you know, when, when he tries to stop criminals as a mass vigilante, they're not scared of him, and he's struggling to find a way to make villains immediately terrified of him before he, he lays the first blow.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, all in all, it's just a really, what, one thing that I, I think they could have uh, done but wound up avoiding for, uh, you know, for the benefit of, of everyone is that it, it could have seemed like this was just one long episode, And, uh, or maybe like a two-parter or something like that. Just really just a branch off of the series. But they, they, they do approach it more like in, in a, in a movie, like a good three-act movie structure. And of course the episodes themselves are also in a three-act structure, but but the film really like it takes its it it takes its time. I guess that's something that can be said about everything regarding the animated series, including the movie, is how willing they are to just take their time, really, really introduce these characters, uh, like the new ones that they bring in, um, and just allow us to. I think with with the movie, they realize well, we've got you know about eighty minutes, so we can really let people. Uh, come to grips with the situation really really draw out the the story uh and the plot and the the murderous plot and all that sort of thing and and also in the in the film you kind of feel like oh the joker is kind of like uh (laughs) this is gonna sound weird the the joker is kind of like a money shot and uh and it's like well we we gotta have i I feel like a lesser uh, you know lesser filmmakers would be like well we gotta have the joker immediately but they don't they 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 don't introduce they don't introduce him into the story for at least like a half hour i think and, yeah, and uh, even
2: then
3: you know we only get a taste of him because we right. only learn later that one of the gangsters in the flashbacks is uh, the joker
1: right and so and i really admire that i like that they are willing to just have it be about this phantasm character and and just let us feel the dread that comes with that before introducing more familiar elements It's really just—I really admire the film, and I I admire the way that they, the the ways in which it's similar to the animated series, while also really kind of standing on its own.
2: Very cool. Yeah, uh,
0: I—I mean, yeah, the way I was listening to an interview with once uh, with one of the writers of um, Batman: Mask of the Phantasm, and he mentioned, you know, four different people wrote it, and each different person like wrote what would be an episode, and they sort of combined them together. And Paul Dini Mm. did the Joker parts. And, um, again, as we mentioned, I'm just really impressed with the sort of adult tone of it. Mm-hmm. And, and the series had it as well, but this more so. And the way the romance works in this uh, Mask of the Phantasm is far better than how they handled the romances in any of the Batman live-action films.
1: Oh, yeah. Ooh, yeah. Well, he, I totally the, romance, the
3: romance wasn't tacked on here. It's an actual motivating factor for, uh, for almost everything else in the movie.
1: And it's, and it's representative of something. And of course, I, I mean, like Katie Holmes or the, the Rachel Dawes character is, repre- is representative as well. And I feel like the, the romance that Bruce Wayne has with Rachel Dawes in Batman Begins and the Dark Knight, I feel like that's, that actually owes a lot to Bruce Wayne's relationship, uh, with the woman whose name escapes me. Um, in oh, Andrea Beaumont. Okay. Yes. Uh, in mask of the phantasm where it's somebody who knew who he was or what and what he was like and and that sort of thing and so and and somebody because his whole thing is he's being haunted by his past and in th- in this case being uh his parents murder and then another element comes from is from the same place his past to draw to pull him in another direction and it really it's the the reason that the romance has so much resonance is because um because the character just comes loaded with uh, meaning and me- and metaphor and uh, representation for Bruce Wayne.
2: That's a cool way to look at it. Yeah,
3: I gotta say, yeah. casting uh, Donna Delaney as Andrea Beaumont, the love interest, she is mm-hmm. exceptional in that role.
2: They have all these really good. I, I loved all the females. Um, what was the episode? Baby Doll. Oh yeah. That
3: one. Yeah, the character Baby Doll.
2: Yeah, and the the voice actress for that, oh, was so amazing. They always just really had really good female, yeah, just voice actresses. They had some great casting on that show. And you the, know what, I,
3: now that I think about it, I'm actually shocked that we, we haven't talked about what what may very will be the greatest achievement of, of this animated Batman series, and that is the, the creation of Harley Quinn, the Joker's sidekick and on-again, off-again girlfriend
1: well i i actually i I enjoy Harley Quinn. I think she adds uh as actually another level of, of insidiousness to the joker himself, just the idea that he has something of a fan club uh represented by <laughs> by Harley Quinn uh, and that he has that level of influence over her and and just and the relationship that they have is so inherently fascinating because she adores him and he is just so kind of abusive like he's he tolerates her when she can help him and then the rest of the time just like yeah okay whatever Uh, i guess i can just let her do stuff for me um and the and the and uh, arlene sorkin i believe is the name of the actress who does the voice and she does amazing work
3: well you know it's it's like it makes the joker an even better villain because not only is he a thief and a murderer and a psychopath he's also an abusive boyfriend Oh no! I'm just saying, and of course, the, the the character was was such a breakout character in the series, and became so popular, and in its own way, so integral to the Joker and Batman mythos that Harley Quinn was eventually a made part of the mainstream DC continuity. And you know mm-hmm. that that is just so uh, so amazing. You know that you know that that means we'll be seeing Harley Quinn for decades to come <laughs> in the future incarnations of Batman. Mm-hmm.
1: And I think, in general, I mean, I know that we're going to start wrapping up here soon. But uh, Paul Dini and Bruce Tim, but uh, I think especially uh, Paul Dini um, has. I think he did more for the Batman franchise, just the whole world and universe of Batman. I think he's done more for it than almost anybody. I mean, just his his work in this series and the various other series. His, I mean, he he you may just mention it he created an entire character that no one had heard before had heard of before uh and or hadn't so been seen before Ex- look exactly
2: at, Look at how 2 Face. look at the the neat just black and white suit just yeah. classic well,
0: and if you like the 90s cartoons at all as you were mentioning tyler paul dini worked on almost all of them he was a big mm-hmm. writer on tiny toon adventures and uh the george lucas cartoon ewoks and droids okay maybe not those but uh, hey, Droids cool. <laughs> but you know, and he's worked some on the new Star Wars Clone Wars show. But he's really had a big imprint on the the '90s stuff. And the way this Batman cartoon was really influenced, like the X Men cartoon. And Paul Dini also worked on the future uh, Justice League and the Superman cartoons that ended up on WB and Cartoon Network. So,
1: and he also he also wrote the video game uh, Arkham Asylum, uh, which also features the voice acting of. Kevin Conroy and Mark Hamill and, and others, but uh, but now I don't really play video games, but my friend owns a copy of it, and so I, I watched him play it, and it's it's an amazing game, and because, I mean, it really, in many ways, it kind of feels like a, like a movie, but it's just, he really, I, I think, you, I mean, you listed his credits, I think the reason that he uh, is so influential and, and, and in the case of the Batman series, just re- kind of revolutionized the way people thought of it, uh, along with Tim Burton, of course, but uh, the, is because he does take it seriously. I think he recognized the potential in these characters and in these situations and in Gotham City in general, and I think he saw the, w- the, the way people reacted to, to Tim Burton's films and said, all right, I guess people are okay with this now. And now I just ha- and now I can just do, I-, I can shape this in a way that people have never seen before. And of course, I mean, Frank Miller took stuff in a pretty dark direction as well. I don't want to want to you know downplay his contribution, but uh, but yeah, I mean, Paul Dini really, I-, I have tremendous respect for him for just really everything that he's done uh, for the Batman franchise.
0: Yeah, I played a little bit of the Batman Arkham Asylum game because I got it used, had some store credit in the store. But anyway, I mean, yeah, the uh, mm. writings by Paul Dini it is just really fantastic a, a bit of a darker tone than the animated series but it goes yeah. with the look of the game but there's a scene early on where batman and the joker are being led into arkham asylum and they're at, they're at a door and they got to have the security scan them and it goes off and they think oh the joker snuck a weapon but no it's actually batman with all his gadgets and the joker yeah. and I, i'm not going to try and do a more camel imitation because it would be awful but i will okay, okay, well but the joker says to batman Ooh, what do you have in there, bats? Batterains, bat claws, bat snacks, and it's such a silly <laughs> line of dialogue. Ooh, Batman, what do you have in there?
2: Batterains, bat bombs, bat snacks.
0: Very good. Yes, that's pretty good. Did you, good
2: yeah. did, you did you bring enough for the rest of the class? <laughs> Harley, uh, <laughs> you tell him, Mr. J. Yeah, also, <laughs> I think if anybody anybody should go out and buy the Batman: The Animated Series guidebook. Uh, by Paul Dini mm. um, and Chip Kidd, it has one of the things that I loved, and I wish I had a poster of some of them, they were so gorgeous, the uh, title cards. It has all of the title mm. cards on a big fold-out, and just mm. looking and remembering the episodes just by the title cards. Did Mask have a title card? Uh, no, it had an opening oh credit God.
3: sequence that was a sort of a CGI, the camera sweeping through a CGI Gotham City.
1: Meh. Nah.
0: Right. Well, Tyler, uh, thank Those, you very much okay. again for being on the sequel cast. I know you got to get going. Oh, thank
1: you for ha- Yes, thank you. And uh yeah, thank you for having me. It's always uh always a pleasure to uh to talk about this sort of thing by with with people who who love it as much as I do.
0: Oh, great. And uh, check more of uh, Tyler Smith out. Listen to uh, his podcast Battleship Pretension and he also has a podcast called More Than One Lesson. Both are film podcasts. Uh, more Than One Lesson is a film podcast with a Christian perspective uh, thank mm-hmm. you very much for being on the sequel cast
1: thanks for having me
2: not a pleasure to have yet. you on how will we end this one
0: um, with a bag <laughs> <laughs> next time on sequel cast will um, I'm not sure it'll be a surprise